How are we doing tonight, 678? Amen, amen, amen. It's good to be with you guys. My name's Levi. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. Thanks for choosing to spend a Saturday night with us. Yeah, woo, woo is right. This is the place to be. Glad to be with you guys. Want to give a quick shout out. Uh, not only was Wednesday Star Wars Day, it was also Jake's birthday. He's my older brother, and so I always, I always remember how old I am. I'm like, oh, Jake minus two. Okay. Um, but also, today is Cole Kim's birthday. Hey, Cole. There he is, right there. Cole, happy birthday. Glad you're here, bro. Um, excited to be with you guys tonight. Hey, just want to remind you guys. Uh, we're here, and I love this part of the night where we talk uh, about God's word. I just want to remind you guys. We don't come to 678 so that you can hear kind of like Levi's top 10 tips on how to live your life, right? Like, we don't just come to like sing a couple campfire songs and hear someone say some like good advice. No, we come because we believe that there is a God who is real, a God who is living, and a God who is here. And we believe that when we come to worship, we're interacting with that God, and when we come to God's word, it's not just good advice, but it's literally words from God to us, to comfort us, encourage us, and equip us to live this life. Amen? So I just want to encourage you guys, this time right now, this isn't just like, mm, this is what Levi thinks. No, this is what God has to say to our family tonight. Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on. Hey, we've been in the relationship series. Say, ooh la la. Ooh la la. <laughs> and, <clears throat> man, say it with me. Uh, and the big idea of this series, hey, nice baguette. It, the big idea of this series is that truth and flourishing in relationships and in identity, they don't, it doesn't come from the world, it comes from God. Amen? And what that means is if you're going to follow God with the way you do your relationships, the way you think about your identity, that means you're going to be different than the world. Does that make sense? And so whenever you believe something, uh, you need to know what your starting point is because depending on what your starting point of what you believe is, then when you learn something new, you're going to come to a really different conclusion. Let me illustrate this. Jake, uh, uh, birthday boy, kind of, belated birthday boy. Come up on stage. Jake's going to stand over on that side of the stage. I'm going to stand over here. No, we are not going to joust. As wildly entertaining as that would be. <laughs> Should we? No. Okay. What? No, that was not. What have I done? <laughs> no, we're not jousting. Although baguette jousting does sound like a lot of fun. Next Tribe Challenge, we'll do baguette jousting. Okay. Okay, stay with me. Here's the illustration. Jake and I have different starting places. Does that make sense? Do you see how that's happening? Now, Jake and I are going to be walking forward in life, acting according to our starting places. Now, imagine someone was to tell us, hey, turn left. Look what happens. We start walking in opposite directions, right? We just got the same instructions. The same information just came to us. But because we had different starting places, we came to different conclusions. Does that make sense? Thank you, Jake. You are very good at that. And he's so good at that, he must be a walker. <laughs> wow. 
that landed a lot better here than in high school. Thank you. I will be here next week. <laughs> hey, I know, I'm outrageously hilarious. Stay with me. Stay with me. Two people that hear the same thing will come to very different conclusions based on their starting points, their starting points, right? All people have different starting points on what they believe, for what they believe. And just hear me really clear. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, one inseparable part of that, a necessary part of that, is that God is your starting point for everything that you believe. That every, every truth that you believe has its starting point in God, right? And this is because God is the creator, God created everything that is. And so because God made everything, he also defines everything, right? Because God made everything, he gets to say what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. Amen, right? And because God is creator, he is also the definer. And if you believe that, six, seven, eight, that's going to make you very different from the world around you. If you believe, if your starting point is what God says is good, what God says is evil, that's going to be a very different starting, it's going to make you different than the world, but we expected that, right? I want to remind you of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is going to make you different. Do not conform to people around you, right? Uh, six, seven, eight. I, I realize that sometimes I also have the desire to be like the people around me. That would make things a lot easier, right? I would stand out less. People would make fun of me less. It would just be a lot smoother if I was like the people around me. The desire to be like others, I experience it too, right? But here's the thing. If you want to be like others in your actions and beliefs, then you're also going to be like others when it comes to the repercussions or the consequences of those actions and beliefs. Let me give you an example. If I want to be like the rest of the world by not tithing, the way God talks about giving back to him financially, if I, like, a tenth of my whole income, that's a nice chunk of change, right? Like, I would like to have that to spend my money sometimes. But if I want to be like the world and not tithe, I'm also going to be like the world, really stressed and anxious about my finances, maybe drowning in debt, right? If I'm like the world in my actions, I'm going to be like the world in my consequences, right? Six, seven, eight, if I'm like the world where I just listen to whatever song I want just because I like the beat, but I'm drowning my mind in depressing, angry, greedy lyrics, guess what's going to be filling my mind and heart? I'm, my mind is more naturally going to go to anger, more naturally going to go to depression and anxiety. Six, seven, eight. The blessing is bound up in the obedience. If you want to be like others, you're going to have their consequences too. But if you choose instead to follow Jesus, some different outcomes are coming your way. Different blessing is coming your way. You won't be like the world. You'll be able to walk through this world that is just crippled with anxiety and depression. And even though that might still hit you in your life, it won't control you anymore. Right? You'll be able to live differently in this world because you've acted differently. You've followed a different king. Right? So 678, if you're willing to be different in the way that you'll, you live, you're also going to get to be different in the reward and the blessing that God gives you. So I just want to encourage you. We're going to be different than the world, right? 
but that's going to be for our benefit. We're going to receive blessing, and we're going to show the world what it means to live life with God. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be different. I'm going to pray for us. And remember, we're coming to God's word. So this is not just a couple of things Levi thinks. We're coming to what God has to say to us. So let's have faith to believe that God's going to speak to us tonight. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you're with us even now. God, I pray that as we come to you as our starting point, would you show us things as they really are? As we come to you to learn what is good and what is wrong, God, would you be gracious and would you be clear to us so that we can know exactly what it is that you're calling us to and fill us with hope knowing that even though that will make us different, that we'll be in it with you and that will make everything worth it in the end. We love you guys. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Six, seven, eight. You ready? We're going to talk about sex and we, that happens when we're at church. Why are we talking about sex? Because the Bible talks about sex, right? That's just something that's a part of reading the Bible. And here's the thing, especially as you guys get older and you step out into the culture at large, really everyone is going to be talking about sex, right? And so there are going to be a lot of potential starting points of what you believe about sex to be out there. And I want to encourage you that if you want to know what's really true, you need to know what God has to say. What is your starting? And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're talking about sex from the perspective of God as our starting point. Amen? You guys are mature. I believe in you. We can do this. Are you with me? Amen. Point number one. The starting point for sexual identity is believing that God is creator. If you're a note taker, you can write down this note, fill in the blanks. The starting point for sexual identity is believing that God is creator. Six, seven, eight. This might blow your minds, but sex was God's idea. Sex was God's idea. God was the creator. In Genesis, God created everything, and all of his creation is affirmed as good, sex included. In fact, he commanded Adam and Eve to have sex. He said, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply, right? Make babies. And so sex, when practiced the way God prescribes, is a good thing. It is part of God's good creation. It was designed for intimacy, to bring people close together physically, emotionally, spiritually. It was designed for pleasure, to be an extremely enjoyable way to connect. And it was designed for procreation. That means to make babies, right? And so that was part of what sex was designed for, God's good design for sex. And so get this, hear me loud and clear. Because God is the creator of sex, God also defines what sexual morality and sexual immorality is. Because God created sex, he defines how to do sex the right way and how to do sex the wrong way. That is sin. Does that make sense? And so God created a space for sex to happen, and it's called marriage between one man and one woman. I want to read from Matthew chapter 19, the words of Jesus. Jesus said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so God is the creator and the definer has specific boundaries around sex. First, the only safe place for it is the marriage covenant, right? 
it's not just warm feelings between two people. It's not just, oh, I like you or I'm committed to you. It's a holy promise made between before people and God, the marriage covenant, right? But not only is the marriage covenant, it's a fancy word, monogamous. That means just between two people, one man and one woman. And then it's also, according to God's design from scripture, it's also exclusively heterosexual, right? Between a man and a woman only. And God in scripture defines every departure from that, every way you could tweak that or change that becomes sin, right? So sex outside of marriage, the Bible defines as sin. Sex with more than one person, the Bible defines as sin. Sex with, uh, between anything other than one man and one woman, the Bible defines as sin. And so if God's design for sexual identity is explicitly and exclusively heterosexuality, or one man and one woman, why is it that some people have other sexual desires, right? And our culture will give you a lot of answers because there are a lot of different starting points for why you would believe something about this. Some other starting points people have are, well, people are just, are born good and then they're messed up by society. So whatever comes naturally to them is really what's good. That's a starting point some people have. Other people say people have certain sexual orientations because God made them that way. So that must be what is right for them. But six, seven, eight, those are different starting points than what the Bible says. And it's important that if we are going to follow Jesus, when it comes to sexual identity, our starting point is that God is the creator, not us. So yes, God made us, and God made us well. But our natures have been broken by sin. When, you, when sin is not just breaking the rules, it's breaking yourself, right? It's breaking your nature. And so if you have a broken nature, broken desires will come naturally to you, right? There are parts of me, desires, appetites, inclinations that God did not create. They are a result of me being a sinner and living in a world broken by sin. God made us, but we must test our desires to determine whether or not they match up with God's definitions of good and evil, because our nature doesn't necessarily, right? We need to see what God says and measure up against that. And not only was sex God's idea, but gender, specifically two genders, was also God's idea. I want to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Did you catch that? Exactly two genders were created by God. Male and female. Male and female were made distinct. They were made different in order that together we could more fully reflect the image of God to the world. And so if God's good design for gender identity is that there are exactly two genders and gender is indicated by biological sex, then why do some people experience conflict about their gender and identify differently? Six, seven, eight, again, there are lots of different starting points that people could have to come to different conclusions. Some other starting points people have are that, well, I have my truth and you have your truth. Or in other words, like, what's true for me comes from me. Some people are, say, like, well, I'm, I'm a girl trapped in a boy's body. Or I'm a boy trapped in a girl's body. Other people just 
even if this isn't a conscious thought, they're like, man, I have such an affection and such a connection to this person who's the same gender as me, so that must mean I'm a different gender inside, right? And, and they come to a different, they reorient their gender based on this love they feel for someone else. Six, seven, eight. Our genders are given to us by God, not discovered by us. The starting point from the Bible, the starting point from the Bible is that we receive our genders from God. We do not decide them. God has indicated our genders through our biological sex, right? And so to put it really bluntly, if I was to say that my gender or like my true reality of who I really am is different than my biological sex that God created, what I'm really saying is that God got it wrong. And, and I know what's really going on with my body, right? It's to say that God's wrong and I'm right. And six, seven, eight, just humbly, I have to say, if you ever come to the conclusion that you're right and that God is wrong, some, somewhere you're wrong, right? And, and I, that, that sounds simple, but we need to realize that God is God and we are not. God is the creator. God is the definer. And what it means for me to follow Jesus and not be in rebellion against him is that when I disagree with God, when I have a thought or a belief or a desire that goes against what God has said, to follow him means to say, okay, I'm doing it your way, God. I'm trusting what you have said. I'm believing and I'm going to follow you instead of my feelings, instead of what comes naturally to me. Six, seven, eight. God has defined these things. And so we have two options. We can obey or we, we can rebel, but we cannot change what God has said. We can obey what he said. We can rebel against what he said, but we cannot change what he has said. And I just want to say that I have experienced enjoying and being drawn to things that culture, not God, has said are feminine. Right, just one example. When I was little, like really young, uh, I, I remember watching Disney princess movies, right? And not only that, I remember loving them, right? Like really enjoying them. And it wasn't just like the part where like someone comes in and like fights the dragon. No, I loved the part where like the prince and the princess got together and it was romantic love. And I remember as a being little, little boy like, I want that, right? And just like really enjoying that. And according to our culture, that's a very feminine thing. That was something little girls did, not little boys. And if I was to listen to my culture, nowadays they would say, oh, Levi, maybe you are a little princess too. But six, seven, eight. Culture does not have the authority to tell me what my gender is. Only my God has the authority to tell me what my gender is. Six, seven, eight. If there's ever a person or a message that you hear that causes you to doubt this, you get to decide who you think is really king in your life. Whether you think culture tells you what's true or you think God tells you what's true and you will have to choose. And I hope for your sake and for the sake of people around you that you believe that God is telling you the truth and that he loves you, amen? What, one, one more thing I wanna say on this is that sometimes if you feel a really deep love and affection and connection with someone of the same gender, our culture says, oh, you must be in love with them. That must be a romantic and sexual love. 
And can I just say, that is not what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible says. That is a lie from a sex-obsessed culture that says, if there's any love, it must be sexual. No, that is a lie from a sex-obsessed culture. And specifically, that's a lie from Satan, from the enemy, who Jesus calls the father of lies, who wants nothing more than, according to Jesus in John chapter 10, to steal, kill, and destroy what God has put in your life. Don't believe that lie. What if you took God's starting point and said, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Did you hear that? A friend, not a lover, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Did you know the New Testament was written in a language called Greek? And one way that Greek is significantly more helpful than English is that it has multiple, like four or maybe even more different words for what we use as the word love, right? And so there is a word, eros, it's the word for sexual love, right? But there's another word in Greek for love called agape. Say agape. Agape. And agape talks about the kind of love that's a sacrificial love that says, I love you so much, I I will serve you. I will give of my time and my effort sacrificially so that you can benefit, so that you can have good in your life. And 6, 7, 8, hear me loud and clear. When God says, when John, talking about God, says that God is love, he's using the word agape. That God is the kind of love that gives himself sacrificially so that we can live. And when Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, that's agape love. Six, seven, eight, don't believe the lie that just because you love someone, you must be romantically and sexually attracted to them. No, there is a difference between eros and agape. And I am begging you to believe, to start with God as your starting point, the Bible as your starting point, that there is a difference when you feel a deep connection and love and care and affection for someone of the same gender. Don't believe the lie that you must be attracted to them. Instead say, thank God I'm discovering a best friend. Thank God that I am finding a friend that sticks closer than a brother, closer than a sister. Thank God that I am experiencing the agape love that God loves me with and that I can experience within the family of God. Amen? Amen. Six, seven, eight. Point number two. The starting point for sexual activity is believing that God is king. God is king. You see, God has such good plans and good designs for sex, but God also knows how powerful sex is. And the Bible, the starting point for sexual activity is that the the Bible defines any sexual gratification outside of the covenant of marriage is sexual immorality. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, which is having sex with your body, right? But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, just looks lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, Jesus is extending the definition of sexual sin, right? It's not just sexual action that you take. It's also the thoughts that you have. It's the way that you look at people, whether in person or or through a screen. I'm talking about pornography here too right? When you are looking at someone and you're gaining sexual satisfaction, gratification out of that, even if you never touch them in any way, that is sexual sin because it's lust in the human heart. 
right? It's seeing them not just as a person, but just someone that's going to give me pleasure. It's seeing them more as an object rather than a person. Six, seven, eight. The Bible calls all of this sin. Any sexual gratification outside of the covenant of marriage is sin. And so if God has placed boundaries around sexual activity, why do some people still have sexual desires that are outside of those boundaries God has set? Remember, there are a lot of other starting points that some people have, right? Some people say like, well, as long as you just really love this person, as long as you have these warm feelings towards them, or as long as you're committed to them, then sex is okay. Other people say, it's just, it's just another physical appetite, just like eating. No one actually thinks that. You know what happens if you don't eat? You die. You know what happens if you don't have sex? You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> right? Six, seven, eight. Your appetites don't always tell you what you need. Oftentimes, they just tell you what you want. I want a brownie so bad every day. <laughs> every day. Is that telling me what I need? No. Not only is that not telling me what I need, it's telling me something that would be really bad for me. I would, I would gain a lot of weight. That would not be good for me, right? If I gave into my appetites every time. No, your appetites don't always tell you what you need. Sometimes they just tell you what you really want, right? Six, seven, eight. For the follower of Jesus, for the follower of Jesus, Jesus is not just Savior. He is also King. He is also King. That is our starting point, right? I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Let that blow your mind for a second. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this next line. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Six, seven, eight. If you are a follower of Jesus, God has paid for you with his own life. God has paid for your life with his. What does that mean? It means that you are not your own. It means that I don't get to decide just to do whatever I want with my body. Why? Because my body is not my own. It belongs to God. He bought it. He saved me. And so if God is telling me to do something or to not do something with my body that is in contradiction with what I want, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to say no to this, and I'm going to obey my king. It's that simple. If you have said yes to Jesus, he has saved you, and he is your king. Six, seven, eight. How do we live this out? Well, thank God there's a difference between temptation and sin, right? And so and the way I know that is Jesus was tempted. There are long stories about it in the Bible, but he did not sin, right? What does that mean? We can be tempted, and we can resist temptation and not sin. And so I want to encourage every single one of you, if you have heterosexual desires that are outside of God's good design, if they're outside of the covenant of marriage, you can resist that, 678. You can live a faithful and satisfied life in Jesus saying no to that. If you have homosexual desires or desires that to identify as some other gender, God is going to give you grace and power to say no to that 
and to obey his will, his definitions instead, and to live a fulfilled and satisfied life following Jesus. And so six, seven, eight, whatever it is for you, it, maybe for you in your life stage right now, the temptation is not to have sexual activity with someone else, but it is a big temptation for you to gain a lot of sexual gratification by looking at people, whether in person or through pornography, through a screen, right? And here's, here's the hope, is that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say no to that. And we can say, I'm going to follow my king and live life his way. Six, seven, eight. I have one more point, and this is, this is where we'll end. Aiden, you can come. The starting point for all hope is believing that God is Savior. Believing that God is Savior. Everyone wants to be satisfied. Six, seven, eight. That is a, that is a human desire that is put there by God. That's a good thing. But where we go wrong is when we think we're going to find satisfaction in all sorts of things instead of in God. Six, seven, eight. You, I think a lot of you know you were made by God. I don't know that all of you know that you were also made for God. You were made by God for God. Humans were designed to be satisfied by relationship with God. It's in our nature. It's, it's, it's how we were made. If you look for satisfaction anywhere else, it will run out. It will fail you until you turn to Jesus. Six, seven, eight, I want to encourage you, don't let anything else become your identity in your life. Don't, don't choose to identify like, oh, yeah, I am homosexual. Or no, I'm heterosexual. I'm straight as an arrow. Like whatever it is, don't let that be your identity because what you claim as your identity reveals what you believe in as your hope. And so if you're, if you're like, man, I like, I, I, you know, I like to do all these things, but like really like I, I'm really a girl in a boy's body. Like that's really my identity. What that's showing is that my hope for being satisfied is rooted in some kind of romantic or sexual experience because I'm a girl, not a boy. No, six, seven, eight. My identity is nothing more and nothing less than I am a forgiven and loved son of God. And because of that, that shows you where my hope is. My hope for satisfaction is not in anything except for God himself. Six, seven, eight, the good news is that we are, well, the bad news is that we are all sinners, right? What, no matter how much sexual sin in particular you have committed or not, we have all sinned, all different kinds of sin, all different kinds of people. We're messed up. But the good news is that though we are all sinners, that is exactly who God came to save. That is exactly who God came to save. There is no room for pride in salvation. You know, if I wanted to brag about, like, how cool I am, all I can say is, like, yo, I'm super saved. <laughs> right? Like, no amount of growth or sanctification or any, none of that came out of my willpower or my cleverness. No, it's only ever been that Jesus has saved me real good. And he's going to keep saving me. And he's going to keep transforming me until my nature continues to align with who he is and with what 
he has said, that's where my hope is. That's where my identity is. Six, seven, eight, I want to invite you to the very same thing. To root your life in the only hope that won't give out on you. Jesus himself. So six, seven, eight, take a second just to think, how do you need to respond? How do you need to repent, right? Because repentance is... It's, we're repenting from things we've done wrong, but we're also repenting from wrong beliefs. We're repenting from wrong identities. And I'm, I realize I'm calling you to be different, 6, 7, 8. But I'm not just calling you to be different just for different sake. I'm calling you to what God's word is calling you to, to radically reorient your life, to radically reorient your identity, not around your sexuality, but around your God around your king, around your creator who loves you enough to die for you and give you eternal life. That is all of our hope. Amen? I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, Aiden is going to lead us in one more song. There are going to be some leaders around the room that would love to pray for you or just encourage you if you want to talk with someone, pray with someone. Uh, and so why don't you guys stand up, and I'm going to pray, and then we will worship. Jesus, thank you for being here with us even now. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be guiding each of us right now. If, if some of us were confronted by, by your truth, by your word, God, would you give us grace to submit to you? And God, I think many of us were comforted and confirmed by your word. I, God, I just thank you for that, and I bless that to increase that comfort and that encouragement. God, I pray for all of us that as we honestly consider the sinful desires that we have, God, our only hope is that you would save us. Our only hope is that you would take our broken desires and redeem them. So God, I pray that you would do that work in every single one of us. In Jesus' name.